erase that. Can you just erase that? We we'll just keep going on okay. the ladder. Spurktacular now. I'm a nerd. Is this spurktacular nerd? I'm a nerd. Hey, you found us. Welcome to the Spooktacular Now, a podcast for spooky love and freaks brought to you by some spooky love and freaks. I'm Nicole here with Kenzie. Talking about all things paranormal, unexplained, extraterrestrial is our jam. Do people even say that anymore? What do people say? They still uh, say that's my jam. I, you would know more than I. I guess the, the correct term uh, would be it's lit. It's lit. Yeah. Okay. Talking about Wait, all that stuff. I, don't need, it's I lit. think people, I think that's old too. Okay. I sound really old. I can't keep up. I can't either. So this show will also include a touch of historical true crime and science because science rules. And we hope that by creating this podcast, we can connect with other like-minded spooky freaks. Yay. Yay. Okay. So for our very first episode, we will be discussing a newerish movie called Nope. Maybe you've heard of it. Came out in July. Just a little film written and directed by Jordan Peele, master storyteller extraordinaire, who brought us Get Out and us both fantastic films. And this movie has an alien theme, which is a topic we are both pretty obsessed with and will come back to frequently on the show. So we want to point out this synopsis will include all major spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet, get back to us. Or if you just don't care, if we spoil it for you, thanks for staying. Quick aside, we will be posting new episodes every Friday. And the first Friday of every month will be a scary slash horror movie synopsis and review. Next month will be The Exorcist because I have a lifelong love-hate relationship with that film. And it's officially the best month of the entire year next month. And I thought that movie is just a horror classic and perfect for Halloween time. I would say you have an obsession with that movie. It's kind of a... <laughs> you're right. It, it is. It's, it's bordering it's, on it's it. It's weird. It is. Like, it terrified you, but you can't... You're, like, soaking up all the content you can about right. it. Right. It is an obsession. Yeah. You're, it's... We will deep dive into that <laughs> obsession next month when we talk about The Exorcist. <laughs> Good times. All right. So here we go. Nope. Uh, I read something interesting about Nope. Some people are saying that it's actually an acronym. Oh. Uh, various online forums suggesting that Nope is an acronym for not of planet earth which i can see that uh could be a stretch maybe that wasn't jordan peele's intention yeah i feel like with a lot of acronyms though you just slap some words in to make it sound good enough right it'll fit you can do that pretty much with any word yeah it's kind of fun yeah yeah but also like it works in this case it does it does pretty cool Anyway, the first scene of the film opens up to what appears to be a TV show soundstage. Um, I think that's what they're called, yeah. soundstage. And it's pretty obvious that some major shit has gone down. It's kind of eerily quiet and unsettling. And there's this chimp in a party hat. And there's blood smeared on him. And what appears to be a victim down on the ground, kind of partially obscured by the couch. You can only see part of the legs and feet of what appears to be a woman. And there's this bizarre tennis shoe that is, like, standing straight up in the center of the room. Did you uh, notice that? Yeah. yeah, on its, it's own. It's like it's 
defying the laws of gravity, which... Adds to the creepiness yes. factor, which I really liked that little addition that he put in there. Not sure if there's any special meaning behind that, but um, anyway, the viewer can assume that the chimp has gone batshit and began assaulting the actors. This was inspired by actual events that occurred in 2009 when Travis the chimp, who had appeared in several TV shows and commercials, mauled Sharla Nash. Uh, Nash happened to be a friend of the chimp's owners who came to assist with retrieving a set of keys from Travis who had run off with them. The chimp became spooked by a Tickle Me Elmo doll that I guess he actually really liked. And Sharla picked it up thinking it would help distract the chimp and they'd get the keys. Uh, But he somehow freaked out when the Tickle Me Elmo doll went off and he just snapped and attacked her and ended up biting off her face and hands. So we are immediately filled with this sense of dread with the opening scene. And uh, this film is so viscerally upsetting in so many scenes. And that is what I think makes it so effective. Yes. It it goes through periods of like quietness. Nothing much is happening on screen. It's just focusing on the characters and what they're doing. You know, maybe there's little dialogue, little background noise, and then all of a sudden it just ramps up and something crazy is happening on screen. And as you said, it gets, you know, gruesome and visceral. Mm -hmm. And then it just goes back to like, oh, you know, it's another day. Nothing happened. Right, right. Yeah, it was very unsettling. So then we cut to a new scene. Characters Otis Haywood Sr., played by Keith David, and Otis O.J. Haywood Jr., played by Daniel Kaluuya, They're working their horses on the family ranch. It's called Haywood's Hollywood Horses. Otis Sr. is riding one of the horses in the pen when what appears to be small objects like keys and coins begin falling from the sky. They're kind of like looking around, looking up, like, you know, what's going on? So OJ then looks over and he notices that his father is now motionless on his horse and then he eventually slowly starts to fall off the horse. We then see OJ is driving his father to the hospital And he's got, like, blood spilling out of his face. And later he dies at the hospital, and they find that a nickel had actually embedded itself through his eye into his brain, impaling him, and that is what killed him. And then they also show the wound on his dead body laying there. What a way to go. Oh, it's horrific. But it seems, like, so bizarre and, like, oh, that's so rare, like, that couldn't happen. But it actually... You could see something like that actually happen. Weird shit like that happens. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was really sad. So then after the first opening scenes, the rest of the film is divided into five chapters called Ghost, Clover, Gordy, Lucky, and Jean Jacket. And they have kind of like, the titles are kind of tied into what happens in each scene. And you can kind of read into them a lot more. Um... We'll give you kind of a basic synopsis from here on out. We don't want to, you know, go too in-depth with too many details. Uh, But, yeah, so the next section is called Ghost. And it's now six months later. And we see OJ on set with one of his ranch horses. And this horse is Lucky. And the project is being shot by this really enigmatic cinematographer with the most unusual name antlers holst the most like art 
yes, name. Very. Like you see a name like that and you're like, oh, he's an artist. Yes. <laughs> Antler's host. <laughs> My parents named me Antler's. Yeah. <laughs> um, Antlers. I don't know where I was going with that. Holst, no, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Antlers was played by Michael Wincott, who's a fantastic character actor. Mm. I always think of him in two movies in particular. He was in the Kevin Costner version of Robin Hood. He was like the sheriff of Nottingham's little henchman. You oh, probably haven't even seen know. that movie. You weren't even alive when that movie no. came out. And then he was in The Crow, which he... What? I know. (laughs) You you haven't seen The Crow? No. I think that's on our movie list. Okay. This is going to be fun because there's a lot of those movies I bet you have not seen. Yeah. Oh, I'll be There's a lot of movies in general I just haven't seen. Because I'm one of those people who just rewatches like the same 10 films over and over again because I know what happens and I don't have to be surprised or upset by anything. You have your little repertoire. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, Michael Wincott was also in The Crow, um, and I just remember him talking about Detroit and how it's Devil's Night, and he's looking out over the city of Detroit, and he's pissed because the whole city's not on fire. He's like, this whole city should be on fire right now. <laughs> he's got that really deep voice. <laughs> so, OJ is uh, at, on the set. He's waiting for his sister, M played by Kiki Palmer, who is a total scene stealer in this movie. Mm. She was badass. Love her. So he's waiting for her to show up to give the safety lecture to the crew about how to work with a horse and what to do, what not to do around the horse. And he's obviously super uncomfortable, and he seems like he's really anxious about her being late and about the prospect of having to give the safety lecture himself. He just, you can tell he wants nothing to do with it. But she finally shows up, and she gives a very lively speech, um... The safety portion, I noticed, was actually really short. It was like, just don't be too loud. Yeah. Or don't make any sudden movements. Don't look the horse in the eyes. Right. But she went over it so quickly that probably very few people were actually listening to the safety parameters. And, you know, maybe that's why things eventually go awry. Yes. So she also um, shares with the crew that the Haywoods' great-great-great-grandfather, Alistair Haywood was the jockey scene in the series of chronographic images created by Edward Muybridge. Muybridge. <laughs> Sorry. Which led to an early form of animation. So this essentially was a predecessor of early motion pictures. And I looked this up and, um, you know, Edward Muybridge, Muybridge was a real person. And he would take a series of photographs and, you know, kind of put them in chronographical order Mm. showing movement and he was actually one of the very first people to start this process of putting the pictures together um like early motion pictures the name of the jockey is actually unknown but i love that they included that um historical piece into the movie and um tied it into their family that was pretty neat so after M finishes, she walks to the back of the studio where she is talking with a crew member. And once again, she's leaving OJ alone. And the instructions aren't really being followed. And the horse is spooked when it sees its own reflection. And the horse kind of kicks its back legs, nearly hitting the star of this commercial or whatever they're making. Which results in the siblings losing the job. And they 
needed this job because money is tight on the ranch. OJ's really trying to hold the ranch together, but with her father gone now, things just aren't going the way they had been. So after that, they're seen together driving back to the ranch. And they stop off at a small Western-themed amusement park called Jupiter's Claim, run by Ricky Jupe Park, played by Steve Yoon, who I have a little crush on. He's very cute. Yes, <laughs> ever since the Walking Dead days. So Jupe is a former child actor, and OJ is there to see him and sell him a horse. And we learn at that time that OJ has been selling his father's horses off one by one to Jupe to make ends meet. And in Jupe's office, he starts to tell the story from the very first scene of the film when he was on the set the day the chimpanzee named Gordy went literal apeshit and attacked everyone on stage. Ricky was there. He was the child actor featured in the TV show. And it's weird how he seems so detached from the whole experience. He even has this secret room in his office that's full of all this like creepy memorabilia from the show, including that freaky shoe that is inexplicably landed standing straight up. He actually charges people to go in there and see the artifacts. So he's like, yeah, whatever. It was real traumatic, but I'm going to make some money off of it. Yeah, it's like he's like obsessed almost with this thing that happened to him that has brought him, you know, notoriety. Right. You know, either in a bad way or a good way. And, you know, this traumatic event happened in his childhood and he can't tear away from it. Kind of reminds me of how you can't tear away from the exorcist. <laughs> oh, you're traumatized yeah. by it's it his as a child. <laughs> yes, it's his exorcist. I can't not talk about it. I force myself to watch it. I can't look away. Yeah, so he was like this famous child actor and he might have made a few movies. There were some posters kind of hanging up in his office. And that was his claim to fame. And his career, you know, doesn't seem like it has gone anywhere. But he is still kind of drawn back to those memories. And he, you know, tells people about it any chance he gets, I imagine. And so he's bought this Western-themed amusement park. Um, and he has his whole family working there with him. But anyway, you have to think that this event was obviously traumatic for him. And it's probably heartbreaking for her, Ricky as a child because you know Gordy was his co-star and they were the first mainstream duo to feature the exploding fist bump on screen. I thought that was cute. Mm. So he goes on to talk about how Saturday Night Live recreated the sketch with Chris Kattan as Gordy and Anna Gasteyer and Sherry O'Terry as his co-stars. Ricky doesn't give many details about how he intends to use the horses and then OJ leaves. And before we move on, for some context, the Chris Kattan character, Mr. Peepers from SNL had nothing to do with this incident the chimp attack actually happened years after Catan left SNL. So SNL was not mocking what happened to Sharla Nash and uh, Travis the chimp. Yeah. That happened before. But again, a little bit of artistic license with actual facts being put into the movie, which I thought was pretty cool. Hmm. So later that night, M notices a horse named Ghost out in the corral and questions, you know, why? Why is Ghost out there? And uh, OJ goes out to investigate we see and hear briefly off in the distance. Now it's real dark, but we see lights and we can kind of hear Jupe's voice. And he appears to be like emceeing some kind of show at Jupiter's Claim. And I totally missed this bit the first time I saw the movie, which kind of added to some confusion that I had. And I felt some things were kind of disjointed the first time I saw the movie. And I kind of struggled to put two and two together. But the second time I saw the movie, which is 
I highly recommend, by the way, seeing the movie twice at least. Um, I realized what was going on. So OJ then hears, he sees and hears some strange sounds coming from the park and we can vaguely see like, like a dust devil and hear what sounds like a horse screaming and it's very spooky. Oh, I missed that the first time. Yes. I remember hearing uh, Jube's voice kind of off in the distance Mm -hmm. and like I put it together that there was some show going on, but I missed those other visual details and the, and the horse, which now that you mentioned that, that makes a lot more sense. Yes. So worth seeing a second time. So, OJ is now realizing that the horses are being used for something nefarious. He also kind of gets glimpses of what appears to be a saucer-shaped object, like kind of flitting around in the sky behind clouds. And we learn, too, that whenever the saucer is nearby, it shuts down all electronic devices, even things with batteries. So that's how we know that the saucer is nearby. The electricity shuts off. So he shares what occurred with his sister, and they discover that there is some crazy shit happening in Agua Dulce. Is it? I think it's Dulce. Dulce. Agua Dulce. Let us know. We're not sure. Hopefully, to somebody, the town somebody of out there will. Dulce <laughs> rode a stranger one fine day. That's do, from a song. Do, do, do. Um, it's <laughs> I'm ad living uh, "Big Iron" by Marty Robbins. I don't even but know that reference. But it's the town of Agua Fria. Ah. I just... I you just add it. it. Yeah, I just put uh, it in there. You're so clever. Yeah. So the next day, M heads out to run some errands or something. I can't remember exactly what she's doing. And a lot of this is coming from memory, so it might be sort of disjointed and out of order. I, I, I tried to look up to verify my facts online, but I found so many inconsistent synopsis, synopses oh. of this movie online that it was a little frustrating. And I'm like, well, I thought about just running it and <laughs> then kind of typing up my notes based on that. But I'm, I'm going to end up buying it because I, I love it. <laughs> so... Em runs out to run errands or something. She comes back with this massive horse statue with a trail of plastic pennant rope attached to it. And we learn that she stole this from Jupiter's Claim because at the entrance to Jupiter's Claim Amusement Park, there is like a stagecoach something with all of these big fake horses that are, that are like a team of horses. She took one of them and... She took one of them after they drove to Jupe's place earlier in the film. So shortly thereafter, Jupe shows up asking where she got the statue. That's a very funny scene, by the way. <laughs> she tells him that it's a decoy for horse training and it's theirs. They, you know, they got it probably the same place he did, you know, something like that. So he doesn't really question it at the time, but we know that they're trying to lure the spaceship back to the ranch because they've decided at this time, they can monetize this phenomena or whatever is happening on their ranch if they get the Oprah shot and sell proof of aliens for thousands of dollars. So that's what they're going to do. They they realize, okay, he's using these horses somehow somehow to lure this spaceship. So we're going to use this fake horse to see if we can lure this thing and get photos of it. And then they're going to sell them, which... Hey, who wouldn't do that? I mean, that's... Right. I don't blame them, right? Jupe invites them to his Friday night show of what we have learned is called the Star Lasso Experience. 
So now everything is starting to come together for OJ. He kind of is getting a hint of what is going on. And he's like, what the? Anyway, so later that night, OJ, he hears some strange noises from the barn. And he encounters this short Roswell looking alien. And I was first, uh, first when they showed that, I was like, really? Come on. I was like kind of disappointed because I thought this was the big reveal yeah. of the alien. And it was so early on. Yes. You I was know, like, come I was like, on. Oh. Yeah. It's kind of a, a letdown, but I was actually fucking terrified at the same time. <laughs> yes, because it's, it's dark. OJ's by himself, saved the horses. And he, you know, he just goes out there to check on, I forget which horse it was. Um, that was, they were kind of riled up. He goes in to kind of calm him down and then he just looks over. It's dead quiet. And he just sees this thing standing there menacingly. Although no, the one in the front wasn't standing. It was like hunched over yeah. with its head turned. Oh, it, like uh, it's peeking around. Like it's looking at him trying to, uh, like it's looking at him, you know, observing him. Yeah. And then it, it inches forward. Slowly and slowly, and then then another one shows up from behind that one, and I was kind of disappointed too, thinking like, oh, the, these are the aliens, like this yeah. is what they look like. Oh, okay, I mean, yeah, but but also still just the the way that the scene was shot. Oh yeah, it was just made as it hell. scary. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there was this interesting duality that was going on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes. Such analysis <laughs> so in-depth very critique wow. e. yes <laughs> so i love the, i love the part though where so one of these alien things kind of like goes at him or like attacks him or something yeah. and he punches he it in the punches head it. <laughs> that was the best honestly same <laughs> right right seriously i don't blame him at all so um we find out then that it's actually jupe Ricky is his first name. It's actually Ricky's three kids, and they're there to send a message. And they're, don't mess with Jupiter's claim. Mm -hmm. Which is in reference to the fact that they know that M stole their big fake horse Mm -hmm. from the entrance. So the next day, OJ and M go to a Fry's electronics store, which I guess were real electronics stores or like a Best Buy in the California area. And I read uh, that they had shut down like two weeks prior and they used the actual locations with the uniforms and all that. That's to shoot. crazy. Yeah. So it's, this is a real place. Which So this is where they meet Angel, played by Brandon Perea. I loved his character. They buy all of this equipment, cables and cameras and a whole bunch of stuff. And Angel's, like, super intrigued by all of this. And he's like, yeah, you're going to need someone to set that up. And like, no, nah, no, nah, we got it. And But he convinces them to let him come out and set everything and set everything up. We also learn that he's, like, oversharing all these little facts about his life. Like, he's recently out of a relationship, um, which kind of explains why he just wants to hang out with them all the time, which I thought was kind of sweet. Yeah, he's yeah. He's like, I just want to hang. Yeah. I just want to be with you guys. Mm. So they have Angel set up the cameras on top of the house and other places on the ranch. Um, at one point, they discuss the concepts of UFOs, and he says, you know, they're not called that anymore. He's like, it's UAP, which stands for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, which, uh, is that real? Lame. That is Yeah, lame. it is real. No. Oh, okay. So that's what they're, that's what we're supposed to call them, says who? Yeah. The government? No. I don't know. I like UFO better. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not, uh, we're never going to be able to let go of that. Yeah. 
So Angel really wants to hang out with them, and it's cute. And before leaving, he says, hey, I'll monitor your surveillance cameras for free of charge. And they're like, no. <laughs> this is a secret. They don't want to let anybody in on their plan. They don't want to share the wealth. After setting up the cameras, uh, OJ sets up the decoy horse with the pennant banner tied around it. And the alien approaches and shuts down the ranch surveillance camera. Unfortunately... A praying mantis lands on the lens of the house camera, of course, as one, as a mantis does, Mm -hmm. blocking the view of the ship, and it then sucks up the decoy, and they don't get it on camera, and it flies away with the pennants, like, hanging out of its mouth, or it's like the the bottom, the suck-up area where they take things, where things are beamed up. Yeah. So then Angel contacts them, and he's like, yo, there's there's a bug, or there's a praying mantis blocking the view, and so they learn that... Oh, he is actually monitoring yeah, our cameras. But they're just like, whatever. They're yeah. like, okay, you can hang now. But anyway, so in this event, they miss their Oprah shot. So they have to try again. So after this, we enter into the next portion of the movie titled Clover. We see Ricky as he prepares for a show at Jupiter's Claim, featuring a horse in a glass box. When OJ sees that it is lucky... Not Clover, like the title card would suggest, one of his horses, he waits to see what is about to happen. For the show, Ricky explains that for the last six months, since Otis Sr.'s death, they have been putting on a spectacle of the horse being devoured by something. Though he doesn't specify it as an alien, this explains the Roswell costumes his kids wear and the same-themed merchandise they sell. After introducing his kids and wife, Ricky calls out his first love, the woman who was attacked by Gordy the Chimp. She is sitting in the audience, her face veiled, unrecognizably mangled. Um, This was also another nod yet again to the Charlotte Nash Nash incident, Mm -hmm. as she was known to also wear a veil over her face when out in public. The strategy is to use the act to attract the alien, then sell the merchandise since it shuts down technology, preventing anyone from recording it. Ricky notices the inflatable tube men, <laughs> the wacky waving inflatable tube men, <laughs> deflating early, signaling the approach. He awkwardly tells the audience that the something is early as it approaches the arena, interrupting his whole spiel that he's giving the crowd. With the pennants in tow, the alien begins to suck up everybody from the audience as well as Ricky and his family. And this scene was probably by far the most unsettling. Yes. My guts were, like, churning. Yes. It was, whoa. Another one of those just, like, it was so, like, upsetting. And yet, that's what, when you have, like, a physical reaction to something that you're watching in a movie, that's how you know it's a good movie. Yes. It's it's getting to you, like, on some maybe, like, subconscious level. Yeah. You're watching it and you know it's entertainment, but you're still having, like, you're, you're, you're uh, grabbing the edge of your seat, mm-hmm. your tense, and y- yeah, you can't look away because you need to know what happens next, even though what's happening on screen is so terrifying. And I think they're actually, which is kind of cool, there was a study done a long time ago that your brain can't differentiate between real threat and non threat images. Like if you were faced with a great white shark, your body obviously has this, you know, reaction. Yeah. Yeah. This fight or flight reaction. Let's say you're in the water with a great white shark. 
But if you're shown a series of images of great white sharks, measurements can be taken of how your pulse reacts, how your breathing reacts, and how brain activity Whoa. can all be measured. And so it was determined that your brain, I mean, obviously not you, who you are, your mind, but your brain itself, when it's interpreting images, um, it has trouble distinguishing between fact and fiction, which I thought was pretty cool. Wow. And maybe that's that that sick feeling we get like, yeah. watching it's, a very it's effective like movie. Our defense mechanism to responding to fears just so hardwired mm-hmm. into you know all of our biological responses that you know now we can you know we can tell like it's a photo of something, but uh, on a like a molecular level. We're right. still having that same fear response as our, we would if it was mm-hmm. like a if it was a real threat. Our reptilian brain. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so next we see OJ hesitantly trying to coax Lucky out of the glass box. After loading him onto the truck, OJ attempts to drive away, but the alien gives chase, eventually spitting out the decoy horse onto the truck. At this point. OJ realizes some things, that the UFO is not, in fact, the ship. It is the alien, which spat out all the metal objects that killed Otis Sr. when Ricky first moved into town and set up Jupiter's claim. The alien's appetite for living flesh has grown from horses to humans, and it only eats what looks into its maw, like how a apex predator would react to... Another animal looking it directly in the eyes, seeing it as a threat. Yes, exactly. Um, Good point. So, you know, as as OJ realizes this, he realizes that this alien behaves very similarly to other Earth animals. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, this thing is pissed about the decoy horse and plastic flag rope that got stuck in its gullet. So, it essentially starts barfing up all the blood and inanimate objects that belong to the spectators from Jupiter's claim. Yeah, that scene totally reminded me of the bloodbath scene oh my God, in yeah. The Shining when all the blood is coming like from the elevator down the hallway. <laughs> it's almost like it's a little nod to yeah, that because that was a ton of blood. It even looks like the same. It's like the same consistency. It's not yeah. like blood blood. It's a little watered down. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Not super thick, but just like I didn't rain. think of that when I watched that. Yeah. But now that you mention it, it, it does seem like it would be... An homage mm-hmm. to that. It's like there's a there are a lot of like different influences to the film from various classic horror movies. Yes. The next portion of the film is titled Gordy. In a flashback, we are back at the TV set in 1998. Ricky, played by Lincoln Lambert, sits on a stage as a live taping of the show is being shot. Gordy. Who, uh, whose motion capture performance was played by Terry Notary, suddenly and without warning begins attacking absolutely everyone on stage as Ricky looks on in horror from beneath the set table. Gordy finishes killing one actor before coming over to hit the young girl one last time. He then sees Ricky hiding under the table and offers him a bloody fist bump. That was so sad. That was sad. As Ricky reaches out his fist for the chimp, Gordy is shot in the head and his blood splatters onto the tablecloth and Ricky's face. The untold origin of Jupiter's claim suggests that Ricky has been leading animals to slaughter by this extraterrestrial for profit for a long time since he could no longer profit from the recreations of Gordy's rampage. 
Em and OJ realize that they are going to need some help catching the alien on camera. So they call up Entler's host. <laughs> he is a wildlife videographer, and he agrees to help with the project. During the sequence, the siblings also discuss horses from the past and decide to name the alien Jean Jacket after one of the horses who Which, yeah. was special to M. But they don't really go into whole, you know, too in depth with it. I can't. I think it was she wanted to train Jean Jacket or something happened. That was uh, was going to be her very first horse that she got to train on her own. Oh right. Um. So I guess in a way, she's honoring Jean Jacket. Yeah. Um. Or or OJ was like, and OJ is the one that says we're gonna name it Jean Jacket. It's almost like he was saying. You didn't get to train that horse, but you are going to whoop this alien. Yeah. You're going to train this alien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on to the chapter of the movie called Jean Jacket. So, Holst arrives. He has an IMAX film camera with a crank reel, which is their awesome way to get around the lack of power. When the alien comes around, they can just, you know, use a little manpower, keep, keep cranking the reel. So they're going to use this to capture the alien without losing any footage. So OJ and M raid Jupiter's claim, removing batteries from the cars to power the inflatable tube men. Wacky waving inflatable tube men. Yas. Which, by the way, you know what they're really called? No. Oh. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Sky dancers? Yas. Yeah. I had no idea until I looked it up. It's a dumb name. It is. They're like, tube men. I like the wacky... Wacky waving inflatable tube men. Wacky waving inflatable tube men. That's you have to say it like that every time. All right. I will. So they're going to use these tube men to lay a path for the alien and the horse. And it's such a good idea because when they start to like fall down flat, it's a signal to them mm. from the distance that this thing is on its way to, yes. to fuck shit up. So brilliant. So OJ is going to lure the alien... Jean Jacket or JJ, while Angel helps Holst to capture the video. Uh, During the attack, Holst decides to sacrifice himself to get like this amazing perfect shot. And I think we can kind of assume that he must be sick or something. At one point, they show him taking a pill, and it's almost like he's saying, oh, I'm going to die anyway. So I'm going to oh. sacrifice myself for this good, this final I shot. I missed that. I don't yeah, remember that. Yeah. Okay. I think that might have been what's been going on. Yeah. So. He runs closer to JJ to get the better shot, and he gets sucked up into JJ, and then it heads for Angel. But Angel has, not on purpose, ended up wrapped in (laughs) barbed wire and a tarp. Falls, ends up rolling down the hill. And he's perfectly entangled in this, and he's not looking up at it, so it kind of just passes him by. I mean, he, he does get whipped around a little bit. Yeah. But luckily, Angel does not get eaten. So, enraged, J.J. then opens up into its fully realized form. And I thought the design was so cool how it could kind of change its shape a little bit. Yes. It was very fluid. It's like billowy. Yeah. Like a bunch of strings of ribbon tied together. Like it looked silvery, like a stereotypical, you know, flying saucer would when it was all folded up. Which is like a part of the trick yeah yeah and then uh it opens up into this very like ethereal looking it's beautiful thing it yeah it had this like odd beauty to it and it's got this like square 
emerald eye that moves from one side of its body to another when it's trying to look around. Oh, yeah. That was really bizarre looking. But then I realized that that eye is like one of the very first things that we see. Uh, I can't remember if it's the very first oh, scene like of the, the title. movie. Yes, oh, before you're right. we see. It's like you're looking down through it. Yes. Like you're looking through um, the alien's viewpoint, like the, the opening for its mouth as it's like flying down. And then it, it cuts to a shot of the eye. And it's just this weird green square. And you're like, what the heck is that? What right. are we looking at? And yeah, we don't realize until much later that we were right up and close. We were seeing the alien from the inside. Um, yeah. That thing, yeah. It was just, it was a freaky looking thing. It was. I liked, I really liked the design. It was different. So OJ, he's on a horse at this time and he is easily able to kind of lure JJ away in hopes that it's not going to get his sister. Um, and this, there's just like a really powerful scene here between them where they're looking at each other and he's doing the thing with the his fingers like pointing to his eyes and pointing to her eyes yes. and then back and forth. So we we can tell he's going to try and distract JJ from his sister so she can get away safely. And that's it, like, no, don't do that. Yeah. So next we see that um, M is running towards Jupiter's claim. No, she rides the motorcycle. Oh, we totally skipped yeah, over that awesome yeah, scene yeah. where the TMZ guy <laughs> yes. on the motorcycle um, Anyway, he doesn't make it. Let's just say that. Yeah. She picks up his motorcycle and she um, speeds off to Jupiter's claim. And while she's there, she has the brilliant idea to release this giant helium-filled balloon. Um, that's like a cartoon version of Ricky. Um, she releases it into the sky and whose eyes, they're like staring at JJ. And obviously, if you look at it, it's going to want to eat it. Mm. So she heads over to this winking well which is this essentially a well. And at the bottom there is a camera and you put coins into it and you look down the well and you crank this handle and it will take a, like an old style camera. It'll flash and take a picture of you and it spits out um, the image. Again, it's operated by a crank. It doesn't need electricity. So she has the idea that she is going to use this wishing well camera to try and get photos of JJ as he is eating the Ricky balloon. So she puts the coins in, cranks the weaking well to take photos of the balloon, and he, it, JJ approaches. So Jean Jacket sees the human-shaped balloon and devours it. And if you know your gas laws, <laughs> um, as a helium-filled balloon rises into the atmosphere, the pressure increases... And JJ devours it and he's like kind of rising up into the air and he explodes because the helium balloon, he just, it just becomes too much and it just blows him to bits. And it was kind of like, oh, I mean, he was bad. He was a bad alien. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like, oh, it was just so yeah, pretty. Our possibly, you know, Earth's first contact with uh, intelligent or somewhat intelligent uh, extraterrestrial creature and what do we do we kill it yes exactly so she screams out in victory as the last photograph develops perfectly capturing the fully formed jj ensnaring the balloon and in the distance m sees oj on the horse in full 
cowboy mode and she smiles at the camera scenes turn scene turns to black movie ends and then you know you can look at it two ways you can assume that M and OJ report all the events to the authorities. They turn in their photo and video captures. They get their Oprah shot and they get a bunch of money. And we hope that they share it with Angel because he was, you know, definitely a crucial part of their team. Yes. But do you think that perhaps OJ actually died? Because that scene where that touching scene between the two of them where he's going to lure JJ away and he's looking at her and he's the decoy and it starts following him and she races away on the motorcycle. I actually think that maybe Jean Jacket Got took him. up yeah. him and the horse, which ironically was named Lucky and in the end was not so lucky. Um, <laughs> yeah, because we, we never really see what happened after he no, lured the alien we away. We don't. It's kind of left up to our imagination. Mm-hmm. But in the end where Em is looking off and she closes her eyes real tight. It's almost like she's making a wish at the wishing well. And the smoke clears and there's OJ on the horse. It's like she was wishing that that's what she would see when all the smoke yeah. cleared. She was wishing to see him there. And it's yeah. not like he ran towards her like we made no, it. No, he's it's just vision of him there with his back yeah. towards her. I don't he's on the horse. Yes. Yes. I don't think he made it out hmm. or lucky. And that's really sad, but Yeah. I don't know. I guess that's like the whole point is we don't really know for sure. Right. Exactly. So what did you think? I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. So different mm-hmm. from your typical kind of alien flick. Yeah, definitely. It was. It was very scary at times. Also very funny. There were some very, yeah. really, really funny lines and hilarious moments. So it, it was a really good, good mix. Of- yes. Uh, you know, the terror and then the comedic relief. Mm-hmm. So while we're discussing this film, let's talk about themes. Ooh. What what themes stood out for you, Ken's, in this movie? Um, I'd say the biggest one is kind of the idea of spectacle and how we as people in a society, when something crazy or extraordinary or even devastating happens... You know, it's instantly captured by people with their phones, yep. their video cameras, and it's in the news. It's on YouTube. It's everywhere. We can't look away. No. Um, and kind of how even when these crazy things happen, you know, it could be something really devastating, but it's like we have this... It's human nature. Yeah, it's human we nature can't look to, away. to keep... we. I don't know what I'm trying to like, say. Well, like when you're in a car driving down the highway and all of a sudden traffic slows down and you're like, why is traffic slowing down? And you get up there and off to the left, there's like, you know, a little fender bender. Maybe a cop is there, a car, plenty of room for cars to go. There's no reason that the traffic should be slowed down that much, hmm. but it's just because people are gawking. Everybody yeah. has to stop and look. We like, want to know, like, did something, yes. somebody get hurt? Yes. Something on fire. Is there going to be, like, a head through the windshield? What am I going to yeah. see? And it's complete human nature. Everybody slows down to mm-hmm. look. But then everybody, of course, in the back has to slow down or they're going to hit the car in front of them, obviously. Yeah. But it's just what we do. We can't we can't look away. At... It's like we're caught in this moment of, that could have been me. That yeah. could have happened Thank to God me. It wasn't. And it didn't. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have this uh, 
sudden like sense of your mortality mm-hmm. even though that goes away the second you drive off and you're like eh, it's fine right and also it's not it, it's the spectacle there's also let's try and capitalize on it let's monetize yes so like ricky has this horrific experience on the tv set with gordy the chimp but then he has this little shrine in his secret room in his office that he charges people to come and see all of this and then later at his amusement park he wants to sell tickets and merchandise to people who will watch an innocent horse being sucked up into this alien and devoured and he's like it's how we will also take these horrific events that we can't look away from and then try and capitalize on them as well yep so that definitely was a pretty obvious theme in the movie. But also, I think he was also trying to um, trying to say something about the use of animals for entertainment. Yes. And how unpredictable they can be. And can you ever be 100% safe? And you, you can't be 100% sure that an alien, an alien, that an animal's not going to react in some way. You right. can't completely harness that animal... Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it's Instinct. more it's more extreme in the case of the chimp. Yeah, right. Um, you know, they're always they're not d- but based on reality. Yeah, that's happened more than once. I know True. that ha- has happened more than once um, to to people in real life. Um, Chimps are man. They yes, are, they can be vicious. They're strong, so strong, right? And you know, they're they're wild animals, and you know, most horses at one point were wild, also. You know, but they've as humans have evolved, they've been domesticated you know kind of mm-hmm. the same way that you know wolves were domesticated and we got dogs out of that and we try and train them and we want them to behave a certain way yes. that suits our needs yes which um which shows up in the movie when ricky is you know trying to make money off of and you can't blame him i mean that's just what we would do yeah he, he's looking for a way to survive he's looking for a way to take care of his family yes so this this alien shows up and it must have eaten a horse or something. I don't know how they developed this working relationship. Right. But he says every day, six o'clock, this thing would show up. And then we can assume that he's been feeding these horses to it. But then one day it doesn't go as planned because JJ shows up early and it totally catches him off guard. You can tell he's like, what is happening? Mm. And it's like JJ was saying, uh, F you. I don't want your fucking horse dog beat anymore. Um, and I'm going to come to dinner whenever I want. I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to wait for six o'clock. Yeah, it's it's a wild animal. It's a predator. Yeah. And and you people a, look tasty. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has an instinct to hunt whenever it needs to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like, yeah, I'm not going to uh, eat because you ring a bell right. for me to come. Yeah. Um, He's like, jackpot. Yeah. <laughs> All those people are sitting in the stands. Ooh, a buffet. A buffet, exactly. <laughs> and I like how he just like spits all this shit out after yes. he's done digest. When the people are sucked up, when they show them like inside, it's, uh, yeah. that was so disturbing. Uh, They're screaming and oh man. Yeah. Again, was... so uh, upsetting. Yeah. This movie was so unsettling, which means it was so good. Yeah. Um, and then like back to what I was saying about the horses and them being, you know, somewhat mostly domesticated, even though, you know, that horse in the beginning of the film when uh, OJ is on set and he's, you know, 
wrangling the horse. He's preparing it for the scene that it's going to shoot. You know, that horse has probably done that hundreds of times, if not thousands. You know, it's, it's a working animal. Yeah. But, you know, there's a part of it that's still wild and untamable. And it's going to get scared or something's going to happen that you can't control or predict. Mm -hmm. And it's going to react in the way that it was made to, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint. Like when it it saw its reflection. Yes. You you don't want to look a horse in the eye. You're going to spook it. And, you know, it reacted like how a normal horse would react. But, of course, everyone's like, oh, God, we can't, you know. Yeah. You're fired. Yeah. And back to the spectacle thing. How perfect is it that. You know, we can't look away. You know, we're spectators. We, we can't look away. But in this movie, the thing that they're looking at is like, if you look at me, I will eat you. Yes. <laughs> right. What if it was like that in real life? Yeah. It's scary, like turning that whole thought. idea on its head. Like, if yes. there's consequences for you doing that. Yes. What if there could be? Yeah. Yeah. So overall, I was so impressed with it. And when I saw it the first time, I really liked it. And... Some of the dialogue is really fast, and I had trouble keeping up at times, mm-hmm. but it's not really a critique of, of the dialogue. It was just kind of natural, the way they were interacting, you know, how siblings would talk to each other, but sometimes I was like, oh, too fast, I can't process. Yeah. You know, my brain was just like, oh, I can't keep up. So that was my initial, like, maybe one little tiny thing that I had trouble right. with. That was like the very beginning, though, when right, you just know, OJ beginning. and M were talking to one another. Um well, even when OJ was talking to his father, they're kind of talking in, in like rushed kind of not like they're not like they're soft spoken, but just kind of a very casual way of speaking to one another. Yeah, because they, they would they, they know each other's mannerisms. Yeah. yeah they would um, know how each other talks. But little, yeah, so. it did take me a second to I really had to like focus yeah. to hear what they were saying. But it kinda of almost gives the idea that you know, maybe they improvised some of their interactions, oh, yeah. some of their minds, and I think it, it kind of pulls you in more to the film. Yeah. Like, you're part of the scene yourself. Like, you're there just watching it happening. You're the observer. Right. And we have to talk about Daniel Kaluuya's performance. Oh, yes. my. The Phenomenal. Most, the most expressive eyes in... The history of ever in, <laughs> in movies and TV. Because there are some scenes where he has very little dialogue. And you are just kind of getting the sense of what he's thinking and feeling based on his facial expressions, based on his eyes, his, his body, body language. Yes, body language. Oh, my gosh. He doesn't have to say anything. And you know, like, amazing performance. Mm-hmm. I just, oh, so good, so good. And I have to say, the second time I saw it, I loved it i fell in love with this movie it's in my top 10 now because it's just it's weird and unpredictable and just perfect and i love movies like that yeah and it's got a place in my heart for sure i just want to watch it again and again (laughs) so something else um reading more about jordan peele's inspiration for the film and some of the different um, aspects of the film i read this great comparison between nope and jaws that it shared a lot of similarities with the characters of Angel Torres and Antlers Holst being compared to Richard Dreyfuss's character and Robert Shaw's characters, which totally makes so much sense. I don't want to say too much because um, I want people to watch that and 
kind of make their own comparison. Mm. But um, OJ is the role of Roy Scheider's character. There's a lot of parallels there. And Steve Yoon, he would be the mayor at the beach telling everyone, it's okay to go in the water when it's it's shark infested. He's like, come on, everybody, just go in the water. And he's like, yeah, everybody, come on. This alien is going to eat this horse. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) But then it eats them. So very much I can see Jaws being an inspiration for this movie, um, which is pretty awesome, pretty cool, cool thing to do. So um, overall, we thought the design of the alien was pretty awesome. And I remember you saying something about the inspiration. Um, I was scrolling through Twitter the other day and somebody, I didn't verify this uh, for myself, but someone had mentioned that allegedly Jordan Peele took inspiration for the design of Jean Jacket from uh, the design of the angels in uh, the anime Neon Genesis Evangelion, which happens to be my all-time favorite anime. Oh. It's a classic. It's it's sci-fi. It's horror. It's very visceral. It's it's I could I could talk. You're speechless. Yes, it's so good. I, it's, I, it is so good. I'm speechless. We'll have to and, pull up some comparisons. Um, I there are a lot of the every angel that appears in the show. They're like these alien creatures that come from space, come down to earth and their goal is to destroy the humans. And, um, so, you know, Jean Jacket in a way is already very similar to how mm. these characters behave. Um, but their designs are, each one of them are so different, but I could definitely see the inspiration. Some of them have these like long spindly, uh, kind of appendages mm-hmm. or they're very like thin and and billowy um and they have like weird eyes on them like how jean jacket has that like square emerald eye and it it just moves really oddly and um i i could definitely see there being you know if that was true that he did take inspiration from uh evangelion to look more into that well everybody thanks for joining us so proud that we completed our first episode yay if you would like to reach out to us you can email us at spectacular now podcast at gmail.com and don't forget to rate our podcast if you leave a good review we may feature yours in a future episode yeah i'll give you a little shout out you can also find us on twitter at spectacular now and on instagram at the spectacular now And, uh, yeah, stay tuned for more episodes. Yeah, all right, thanks. Bye. Bye.